We are in the middle of our summer elder preaching series over Proverbs, or Sepsop for short. Um, <laughs> uh, last week, if you were here, uh, JT preached on finances, and uh, he's not here, so I feel like I could say something nice about him. Um, but he, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but besides having a full-time job, and JT was also preparing and teaching a lesson every night for VBS that week leading up to his sermon. So he had like zero time to work on his sermon. So he managed to do all that and work on his sermon and feel comfortable enough to get up here in front of you guys and, and give that. So, and he did a great job, um, at least the part I heard. Uh, when it got convicting, I kind of stopped listening, but I know it was, I'm sure it was great. Um, but my topic uh, is parenting which is uh, kind of weird, first of all, because uh, there's two things that make me insecure, and that one thing is up here. Um, I'm not stage guy, um, but being up here on stage and, and being a parent. Um, being a parent is, is pretty intimidating, um, a lot of insecurity, a lot of doubt as a parent. Um, I, I like to say, like, if you're, if you're not parenting with fear and, and doubt and sometimes remorse, uh, you're not doing it right. Uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, but, uh, and I've got, I've got lots of examples of this. I am going to tell a story in a second um, about one of my, I mean, you could say it's a failure as a parent. Uh, it was just one of those moments where you realize I should have handled that differently, and I didn't. But um, I do find myself, and I don't know if it's just me, like, wondering, am I the worst parent ever? Have I done irreparable damage to my innocent children who look to me to lead them and guide them through this dark and scary world, and now because of my failures, it's going to devour them? I mean, that's kind of where my thought is most times with my kids, uh, and I'll give you an example of why. Um, so this was I, I, about 10 years ago, maybe 11. I mean, it was, it was a while back. So... I, if you know me, you know that, that I have a lot of tools, and I work with my hands, and I do a lot of projects for a living, and at home, I'm always doing a project, some kind of remodel or something. Um, and for all of my kids, one thing we've always done is we will, like, turn their bedroom into, uh, like, uh, what was it, a, a castle, right? The, the house, castle house. Okay, so I was in the middle of one of these projects with uh, one of my kids, and I honestly don't remember which one it was. It's not pertinent to the story. But anyway, so I'm doing this remodel project, and we're turning the bed into a, a two-story jungle gym, something like that. Anyway, in the process of doing this remodel, we're looking at this mattress. We're like, this mattress is horrible. We need to get rid of this mattress. So I was going to take the mattress out, and I was going to put it on the curb, but then I was like, I don't want to be one of those neighbors. We've all had those neighbors that stack, you know, the mattresses and half their house on the curb, and then it stays out there for two weeks, and it's the worst. So I didn't want to be that guy. So I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the mattress, and I know this sounds trashy, but I'm going to take the mattress, and I'm going to stick it in the backyard, lean up against the house, kind of in the corner, out of the way, fully intending on getting to it when the time came. I didn't. It stayed back there for a while. So one of my kids... And I, like, so having all my tools, I keep them in a shed in my backyard. And one of my kids, and I'm not going to say who because I don't want to embarrass Caden, but <laughs> he went into my shed and somehow I, this is the bad parenting part, I had left a, uh, so I had an automatic blowtorch, one of those where you just click it and it's fire, right? It's, it, they're really cool and handy, um, not so much when they're in the hands of a child. 
But I left this blowtorch out there. It was connected to a bottle of map gas, so super hot flame. Um, and I leave, it, I leave it down, not only down and connected. Normally, I separate. You know, I'm, I'm, I try to separate, you know, like the torch over here. Bottle goes in the flammables cabinet, you know. Uh, and I didn't. I left them together, and he gets it. So what does a, a 10-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old kid do with a blowtorch? He's going to set something on fire. So you see where I'm going with this, right? Okay, so he, he finds his way to the side of the house. No, nothing in between, which is odd. It, 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 he just, he zeroed in, saw the mattress, and he goes over, and he lights the mattress on fire with the blowtorch. And he goes inside the house. Dominique is on the phone in the kitchen. Now, this is, if you know Caden, this is going to be, or the person I'm talking about, uh, this is going to be really weird for you because he was super quiet, like to the point where you could barely hear him talk when he was little. I mean, everything was just above a whisper. So he goes in the kitchen, and Dominic's on the phone, and she's saving a marriage, um, solving someone's, you know how she is. It's her thing, right? So she's in the kitchen, saving the world one person at a time. And, or one family at a time, and, she, and, and she's in the kitchen, and, and Caden comes in and says, Mommy, there's a fire. Or no, no, first, the first time he comes in, he says, Mommy, and she says, hold on, honey, hold on. And he's like, okay, he leaves. <laughs> just leaves. He's like, okay, he just leaves the room. So she stays on the phone for a few more minutes. Caden finally, just, I guess he goes out and looks at the fire to see if it's progressing well. Comes back into the kitchen, and he goes to Dominique, and he says, Mommy, there's fire in the backyard. So she's, but he's super calm, like sociopath calm level. There's, there's fire in the backyard. So Dominique's like, okay, we're barbecue, neighbors barbecuing. You know, we don't, so she walks out there, she makes the corner, and she sees this mattress engulfed in flames. Smoke, flames, everything. So she goes and she grabs the water hose, thinking quickly, goes and grabs the water hose, turns the water on, and she starts making her way towards the, the mattress problem was the hose wasn't quite long enough to make the corner. So now she has to run back. Faint. This is the fire going everywhere, right? She's got, she goes back in the house, and now she's getting pots and pans to carry water to put the fire out. So she, she manages to get the fire out. She saves our house, the neighborhood, maybe most of four, I mean, honestly, hero. Uh, but she puts the fire out, and this is kind of where my lesson is, is, is going to be today. So it's not like I haven't told Caden and my other kids, don't play with fire. Fire is bad. It's not like we haven't showed them the stove and how it works and how, you know, to check for heat, you know, and, and we've, don't put your hands in the fireplace. You know, things like this, the, the hard lessons that we've taught them. But just because we've told them this and taught them this, it doesn't mean they're going to listen to you all the time. Sometimes they're just going to make bad choices and bad decisions, and sometimes you end up with fire mattress. So uh, that leads me to my proverb, though. My proverb is over uh, 22.6, Proverbs 22.6, and it is train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. So I'm going to first focus on the the, the first part of this verse, uh, train up a child in the way they should go. Now, the biggest influence on children uh, is the parents or whoever is putting in the love, the effort, and the time to actually raise the child. Um, two things about this statement. Uh, first is some of you are thinking like, 
well, friends have a lot of influence over my kids. Friends have, sometimes friends have more influence over my kids than we do as parents. I'm telling you, that, I, that is, in most cases, that is only applicable or valid when they are, their friends are filling up a void that has been left by the parents not taking an active role in that child's life. And they're, they're going to they're gonna find somebody to fill that void, and sometimes it is friends. Um, and then the second thing I want to say, um, and I'm not advocating for, like, helicopter parenting. Are you all familiar with that? The, the, it's, okay, so if you, I don't know if you've watched the Goldbergs, um, but it's somewhere between the mom on Goldbergs and the dad on Goldbergs. So the mom on Goldbergs is, they refer to as the smother. She's in everything. She's, in, she's just hovering over every situation. She inserts herself into everything. And then dad comes home, drops his pants, gets in his recliner, and watches TV all the time. So somewhere in between there, you just need to take an active role in your parents' life. And then secondly, as I move through this sermon, I'm going to be using the word parent a lot. Again, just I don't want anybody to be insulted. That parent is kind of a general term. It is actually just the person, like I said, who's raising the child, investing in, in that child. So it could be grandparents, uncles, cousins, you know, whatever, whoever is putting in that time. So I just didn't want anybody to be offended when I use the word parent. Um, okay. Uh, and as a parent, uncle, grandpa, could be anybody. Uh, but as, a, as me, as a parent, I can tell you that what we make important is going to be important to our kids. And you're going to hear me restate this point a lot because it's really good. Um, but first, we have to establish that what our goal is, our, our end game uh, for our kids. And that is for our children to know and love God and have a right relationship with Him. That's our goal. Our goal as parents is to move them towards that relationship by modeling what a Christian walk should look like. Um, and that's not something that I made up. That's something that the Bible says. And I, I'm going to give you two examples here. And I did not have any forethought in this to actually have them put it on a slide. So, but I did write it down, so I'm going to read this. And just trust me, this is straight out of the Bible. I didn't alter this. So 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John 13, 15 says, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. So we are to lead by example. And this was, this was Jesus' go-to move. Like, no one ever had to ask Jesus, so what's important to you? You know, where, where do you stand on, on God? Like, Jesus lived this out. What's important to us is going to be important to our kids. We set an example of this all the time, or we can see examples of this all the time. Uh, you can see it with uh, political leanings, uh, Racism, you can see it with like Dr. Pepper or Coke. Um, Dr. Pepper is the right choice, by the way. Um, I don't want to hear it. Uh, and, and I see it with my own kids too. Like their, their loyalty to the Dallas Stars. Okay, that's not something they were born with. That's something they earned, right? Something, it's, it's, that's something that, that's love that passed that down to them. That's what that is. Um, their love of 80s music. Again, most kids don't really appreciate 80s music. My kids do. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and, then, and, and then thankfully, their love for Jesus, right? So I see examples of these things in my kids where things that 
Dominic and I have tried to model for them or make important in our lives has been passed down to them, and they have taken on that mantle and kind of, you know, stayed with it or pursued it or, or at least saw that there was a benefit there and made it important to them. But I do want to be clear here. Um, aside from Casey Elizabeth, my kids are not perfect. They make mistakes. Uh, and I, di- I didn't want anybody to think that, like, Dominique and I have it all figured out because we don't. We've just been doing this for 25 years. Um, I don't know how many kids we have. I had to think about this. It's seven, right? We have seven kids and, and eight, including Jared, which I do include Jared because he can be like a child sometimes. Um, but I just want you to know, like, uh, when I'm up here, it's not because I have it all figured out. I don't have this all down. I haven't mastered the art of parenting. Um, I, and, and my concern, like I was talking to Mason about this the other day, like my concern about getting up here and speaking on parenting uh, is that it might give the impression that I did have it all figured out. But it's, it's kind of like my fear of, of be, like I don't like Facebook, okay? I will get on there once a year for kids camp or something like that or on a mission trip and I'll get on there and post something, but I generally stay away from it. Uh, and it's just because, and it's not that it's super negative. It can be if you read the comments, but um, it's not because it's super negative. It's because it's just, it's just, Everyone posts their best life. You know, everyone, if you look at that, if you are just, just judging everything by Facebook, here's the realization you're going to come to. My life sucks. It's the worst. Like, everybody's having more fun than me. You've got Nathan and Tiffany Wester paddle boarding off the side of the Niagara Falls. They've got their kids on the back. Everybody's smiling and loving each other, and it's the, like, it's the greatest thing. Like, you see those things, and then you start judging your life on that, like, I didn't take my kids paddle boarding. I mean, I didn't go off Niagara Falls. My kids aren't always smiling at the same time. You know, it's, it's, so you start judging your life on these things on Facebook or on Insta. Huh? Teenagers? Um, Insta or, um, or like even Dominic and I even, like we put, I'm tell, we are masters of putting on a front. Because I'm telling you right now, there's been times we're on the way to church. Like we, we have sat out in that, par- how many times have we sat out in that parking lot or just on the way to church and Caden has smashed Kyle's donut into his face and Kyle's yelling at Caden and Caleb's yelling because that wasn't even Kyle's donut, that was his donut. And I'm yelling in the front, no one's ever getting donuts again. You know, like just the craziest things that you say to your kids, right? At these, all these proclamations that you make. But, and we will come, but when we, when we come in that door, I'm holding my wife's hand and kissing her on the cheek. Or, you know, or kids, are all, kids are hugging each other because they're afraid. They're afraid of their mother because her mother's already said, I'm going to hurt you if you don't pull it together. Like, you know, you just, again, it's parenting. It is, it is a tightrope walk with no net. That's what parenting is. Um, okay, so the big question is, what are you modeling for your kids? What example are you setting for your children to follow? Does your life revolve around Christ or the news? Do your conversations with or around your kids display a fear of the world or a trust in God? So the world, the world is broken, and it can be a very dark place. Are you balancing that out with reminders of God's promises to your kids? Not just, not just to take us away from all this someday, but that he will be with us through this and love us through all that we're going through. Do you make time for God more important than TV time? And at TV time, that's just where it hit me. I put that in there, honestly, that's, that's a Casey admission right there. But um, do you make TV time more important than time with God? 
you make it can, this could be anything. It's social media, sports. Um, it could be sleeping in on Sundays. Uh, that was something we tried a few times, sleeping in on Sunday. This was very early in our walk, but we decided we're just going to have home church. I don't feel like going to church today. We'll just we'll sleep in and we'll do home church. And we'll listen to the radio. We'll play some Christian music on the radio and have home church. Uh, and it, you, you know what? It's sleep in. You wake up. You go outside. You play with the kids. You get mad at the kids. You're doing school, cleaning stuff. It, church never finds its way back. It, it was just a, it was a very, it was a weak attempt. It was just, it was excuse, right? I wasn't making God a priority. We weren't as a family making God a priority at that time. And it showed, and it didn't work, and it failed, and then we ended up, you know, we straightened it out. We're good. But then it was, it was not great. Okay, so do you see your kids, or do your kids see you read your Bible? Do they see you sing and praise God? That's another one. Like, when you're at church, and um, I know, like, that's something I've always wanted to do, just make sure my kids knew, my boys uh, knew, because um, I have a great dad. Like, my dad's awesome. But my dad would not sing at church. He was very stoic, very, you know, he just not, he's not going to make a fool out of himself by singing at church. Um, so that was something that was a very big priority for me. I wanted my kids to not only see me sing at church and praise God, and it wasn't like I'm faking it. I enjoy it. I'm just saying, I wanted my kids to see me uh, modeling Christ for them, whether it was reading my Bible, whether it was teaching, whether it was uh, singing and praising, praying, like your, your kids need to see you have an active role. They need to see you connect with the Father. They need to know that you have a real relationship with Him. Uh, do you talk to them about Scripture and how it relates to current issues um, and questions that they have? I mean, seriously, they are dealing with topics and events and things that, that they didn't even exist when I was a kid. Um, and I know that was a long time ago, um, you know, like 35 years ago. Um, but I'm 47. I don't mean to say like I'm 36. I'm talking about like when I was old enough to be in trouble. Um, I wasn't dealing with the stuff that they're having to deal with. I wasn't having to carry the weight that they have to carry. Um, the, stuff, the, the stuff that they have to deal with is extremely difficult and hard to manage because I haven't gone through a lot of that stuff, and I'm figuring this out, again, on as I go. Uh, but that's one of the amazing things about Scripture. Scripture is the living Word of God. It is applicable, it is relevant, and it is valid even today, even the things that they're going with today. Scripture is still valid. It's still good. The truth is still the truth, and God is still in and above all things. They need to know, this is important, they need to know that the Bible is not just a history book. There's a lot of history in that book, but it is not a history book. It is a, it is a plan for your life. It is a present book. It is a future book. It is an everything book. It is, a, it's, it is so important that they understand that. And teach your kids scripture. Uh, let them read and understand how to recognize sin, how to seek repentance, how to ask for forgiveness and, gra and give grace, and how to hate sin, but not sinners, Just to be like Jesus. He is our example. And we, we, when we seek to be like him, our desires shift. They change. They, our, our desire becomes to, to give grace instead of judgment, uh, to be generous, uh, like JT preached on last week, to be patient with others, and to be patient with God in his perfect timing. And to be honest with you, this is the one, one of the things I struggle with is, is being patient with God and his timing because I know all those 
all the Christians, they all say the same thing. God's timing is perfect. And it is. But if you ask me, my timing is pretty perfect also. I know exactly when I want something. Um, and, and a lot of times God disagrees with me on that. And I give, it, you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, you're God. I guess you know better. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't desire that. And I, ha- I have to learn to be patient with God and in his timing, knowing that he is in charge. Like I said, again, he is in and above all things. Uh, but that is the example that we want to set is to be like Jesus. And just to know the, the direction of your child begins and relies on you being in a right relationship with God. So what happens when our faith is marginal and we don't invest and teach our kids? Well, the Bible tells us in Judges 2.12, so the Israelites love God, right? They love God. Joshua was leading the people. Everything was great. And what happened? Joshua died. The elders who served with Joshua all died off. And then they just abandoned God. And what they ended up doing was they raised an entire generation that did not know God. They went from loving God into one generation later, not even knowing who God was, and to the point where they were worshiping all the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they were literally going to the lands that surrounded them and just worshiping whatever God they were worshiping. They were just idle, just blowing in the winds. They rebelled and completely walked away from God. God does not want this for your children. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, to display his love on the cross for us. This proverb is a call to action for us, not only to teach our children, but to secure our foundation in Scripture and in him. We have to be walking with and actively pursuing God before we can train our kids to do so. And if we aren't, there we're going to see a bunch of hypocrites and just dismiss what we say totally, or they're going to mimic our example and never fully surrender their lives or hearts to God. You have got to be authentic. You have got to be all in. So we get to the the last half of this proverb. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. So David is a great example of this, this steadfast devotion to God. Even as a young boy, uh, the Israelite, so he, the Israelite army, I, mean, I know y'all have heard this story, but it's still cool. I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, the Israelite army and the uh, Philistine army, they're occupying a hill. Each one, you know, one's on one hill, one's on the other. There's a valley in between the two hills. So for 40 days, Goliath, this nine foot nine giant, and we're talking like the, the coat of armor, just, just the coat that he wore weighed 125 pounds. This is a big dude, right? Every day for 40 days, he would come out and he would just trash talk the Israelite uh, army. He would just trash talk them. He would threaten them. He would ask for their strongest warrior. Um, he just, he wanted a battle. And, and it had the effect he wanted because the Israelites were terrified. They were terrified of him. So this goes on for 40 days. And then here comes little David. He's bringing food to his brothers. David shows up, and he's just hanging around, talking, being, you know, a a kid. And he gets to hear uh, Goliath come out and do this taunting and this trash talking. And David is so appalled at what is being said. He can't believe that someone has dared defy God and God's army. He He is moved to the point where he accepts Goliath's challenge to battle, to fight, right? So David goes and he gets ready 
battle. Is this cutting out? Is that just me? Okay. I'll try to talk more directly into it. Um, but anyway, he, he decides that he's going to not only accept Goliath's challenge, but when the time came where they're facing off, it says the Bible says that David did, only, did not only confront him and go to him, but he ran to him. Like David could not wait to exact justice on this man, this giant that has dared to, dared to defy God and his army. He ran to him. No fear, no hesitation, just an unwavering trust in God. And as David got older and became king, uh, you know, he, he did some pretty awful things. Uh, but he never stopped following Jesus, he never stopped following God. He gave himself to God and continued to follow him. Even when he sinned and he was punished by God, even harshly punished by God, David knew he deserved it and he accepted responsibility for his actions. In the midst of his sin, there was a humility and a strong understanding of who God was. And God even said that David was a man after his own heart. God used David to do great things, and he wants to do the same for our children. It is possible to raise children who stay the course and never falter, just as the proverb says. But at best, this is a highly desired and hopeful outcome. It is not a scriptural promise. I want that for our kids, obviously. That's our desire, but it is not a scriptural promise. You can be the example that God calls you to be. You can live out Deuteronomy 6-7 and teach God's commands and statutes when they lie, or lie down and when they rise and when they go out and when they come back home. You can do all these things to honor God and glorify his word, and some kids are still going to stray. It's just going to happen. Just because we put the time and effort in does not guarantee that your kids will have a lifelong devotion to God. That is a transactional theology, the idea where the more you put in, the more effort and time you put in, uh, the more you give, the, the more you dump into this, this idea, this relationship, the more you're going to get back. And that's not the way it works. Our kids have to choose for themselves to follow God and continue to do so for the rest of their lives. They are in control of their spiritual depth and their spiritual walk. Luke 9.23, just imagine it on the board back here. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We must die to ourselves, our rights and our desire to be in control in order to truly follow Jesus. This is a choice that our kids have to make. As parents, we can, we can pray for them, we can speak truth and wisdom to them. Um, we can set the example for them. We can do all we can, but we can't make them follow God. We can't make them choose to do so for the rest of their lives. That is something that they have to do. And what I'm talking about here is, is control versus influence. So this is one of the most difficult transitions as a parent, as your kids get older. Um, at least it is in my case, our case. Um, when they're little we control every aspect of their lives. What to wear, what to eat, what their bedtime is, when to wake up, when to brush their teeth, how long to wash their hands. Um, I had a discussion with uh, June Miller earlier about 20 seconds or 60 seconds to wash hands. So um, anyway, uh, reading their Bible, praying, going to church, I mean, everything. It's a full-time job being a parent. But as they get older, 
We have got to ease back on control and start letting them take the wheel. We have to start figuring out how much slack to give them. We have to start, but we have to be willing to give that to them. I'm not telling you, this is scary. Like the more, the more choices you give your kids, the more can go wrong. But I'm telling you this, when they choose to serve God or they choose to follow, um, follow your example or they, they choose to read their Bibles or they choose to pray or they, they, they are given the option of spending that with a friend, but they know I can't because I got church in the morning. Like those, those moments, those are just the best. It's, it's, it's super encouraging. And, and the reason for it is because this is where you get to see the fruit of all the time you've invested, all the training. This is where you get to see your influence fleshed out in your kids is when they're making good choices. But this is not where our influence ends. Uh, no matter how old they get, we still need to be speaking truth and wisdom to them. It doesn't matter. You still, even if they're out of your house, you're still a parent. It's still your job to keep them focused on God and do all that you can to keep them there. It's worth it. The time investment you put into this is worth it. Encourage them with God's promises and give grace when they falter. Also rejoice with them when there is repentance. And this is a big one. So in thinking about this, um, just anytime I think about the word repentance, um, it's big. But um, in this case, I was trying to think of an example where repentance was kind of played out in, in the way that I think God really is, 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 is wanting me to take this sermon. And what came to mind was the parable of the prodigal son. So Jesus is describing this son who has a father who clearly loves him. The son decides to ask for his inheritance. He's tired of working and getting dirty and following rules, and he's tired of working in the, in the heat, and he's just ready to just get off the rails and have some fun. So he takes his money, and he just goes scorched earth. I mean, he blows all of his money on women and partying until finally he is broke, he's hopeless, he's starving, he has nothing except the worst job, the most degrading job that a Jewish man can have, and that was tending to pigs. He had lost everything and hit, hit rock bottom to the point where he starts longing for his father and realizes how good things used to be. When he was in his father's presence and doing his father's work, he actually missed it. So he hatches out this plan. He even prepares a speech for his father when he's gonna, he's gonna ask his father for forgiveness. So he, he gets this really well-worded speech. And he's headed home with the repentance in his heart and this well-worded speech. As he's still a long way off from his father, the boy's father sees him in the distance. The father runs to the boy, and of course he hugs and kisses him. And even as the boy tries to deliver his fancy, well-worded speech, the father cuts him off, puts a ring on his finger, and gives him a clean rope to wear. And then he calls for a feast to celebrate the boy's return. Jesus knows our heart. He knows that sometimes our children are going to stray. This parable is to show us that if they do, our Father is watching from distant hills and yearning for their return. When they hit rock bottom to the point where they're longing for our Father and realize how good things were when they were in His presence and doing His work, and they return with repentance in their heart, our Father will have a ring and a robe ready for them. 
He's not going to require a fancy speech, just their heart. And this is not a time to give them time or give them space. It's a time where you need to pray for them and continue to speak truth to them. The Holy Spirit won't give them rest. The Holy Spirit also craves a relationship between your child and the Father. Pray that they are receiving of that call back home. So in closing, I just want to say that I hope and pray that your children do not depart from God. I hope they're able to stay the course and stay strong. We need to teach them and lead them as best we can, armed with the Holy Spirit and God's Word. But do not rely on your effort and your ability to sustain them. Pray for the Holy Spirit to get a hold of them, give them a heart for Jesus, and pray that they remember God's Word and truth and hold fast to His promises. So if you're a parent of a child who has strayed, or you're a parent who is just wanting to pray to keep their kids faithfully sustained in their walk, or if you're a parent who has never invested and is ready to step up and start leading your family and your kids, and you want somebody to pray with you to get started on your journey, um, I am going to be in the back corner back here, and I just encourage you to come pray. I'm telling you, as a parent, I know how heavy that is and the weight that you carry as a parent and the, the importance of your kids loving God and knowing who He is and having a relationship with Him. So if you haven't started that process with your kids yet and you want to pray with me, or again, if you just want to pray for your kids, I'll be in the back corner back there. And if you would, let's just uh, pray to close this out. Father God, I just I thank you so much for this church, this place where we can come and worship you and just talk about our weaknesses and, and talk about your strengths, Father. And I just pray for um, us as parents as we try to lead our kids, Father, that you just give a, us a heart for you and a, uh, through the Holy Spirit, just God, that we are able to speak truth and wisdom to them at all times. And Father, I pray for our children, that their hearts are just open and, and able to hear and retain the things that we're telling them and the truths that we're giving them. And Father, pray that the Holy Spirit never start, stops dealing with their hearts and calling them towards you. And I love you, and we pray that, that you just give us the, the strength to, to do this and uh, to do it with the, uh, the Holy Spirit just guiding every step of it. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.